Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and I know that we've been saying some things that probably are challenging your thinking, but I just, you know, I have to say to you that many of the concepts that I now embrace once made me mad. Because I came from a classical Pentecostal background. I still embrace a lot of my Pentecostal roots. Let me say this for people who I don't know that may be wondering, since I believe in a lot of fulfilled eschatology, that I am not a cessationist. I do believe that the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, the working of miracles, the ongoing unfolding of the kingdom of God uh, is still very present today. I believe in the power of Pentecost. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Spirit, the fivefold ministry, all of those things. But I also believe that we are standing in an hour when the kingdom is not just simply coming, it is continuing to unfold because the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of the meal. The kingdom of God has continued to unfold and expand ever since Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand doesn't mean 2,000 years out in the future or after you die. It means that the kingdom of God was presently available. And while the Jews of their day were looking for a political kingdom to come from the throne of David in a literal sense, Jesus was speaking of a kingdom that was coming from a spiritual dimension because he in fact was the fulfillment of the prophetic word of the seed of David that would come. And he is the seed of David that is presently reigning. The kingdom has been alive and well on planet earth for 2,000 years and continues to flourish. Even with bad theology, the kingdom is expanding and people are coming into the kingdom the moment you get born again, you are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son. You have citizenship in heaven at that very moment. And I think sometimes we preach parables, and we'll get in maybe uh, after we finish the Revelation series talking perhaps about parables of the kingdom. But the kingdom is very much alive and well on planet earth. It's just that I believe God wants to bring a greater awareness and an awakening to this kingdom and our responsibilities in operating in it and uh, expanding it. Uh, Jesus said, seek you first the kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The, the whole key to receiving all these things is seeking first the kingdom and having a kingdom priority in your life. Hallelujah. Uh, and, and I want to sidetrack there, but I, I, I need to stay focused on what my task is at hand Today We're talking about this binding of Satan in this segment. And we showed you uh, in the past, let me just go ahead and read 20 again. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of a bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and the judgment was committed to them, that I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast, or his image, and had not received his mark on their hand or their foreheads. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. 
Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be preached of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who was deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night and forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne. Now let me just say to you that I believe that the only thing, if you're going to ask me, you know, I, I, people have tried to pigeonhole me, and are you a full preterist, a partial president, uh, a premillennialist, a, a, a millennial? I, I don't even, I, I don't even want to try to pigeonhole where I'm at in the spectrum. I will tell you this because I don't, I don't know a lot of those terms and what they even mean or what they're supposed to mean. Uh, because I've just been a truth seeker, and a lot of the stuff I came across, I came across before I even realized there were groups that believed this. And they came from my own personal quest to know the truth. But I will say this to you, I believe that the, the only narrative that steps out of the time limits of uh, these things are about to shortly come to pass in Revelation 1. These things are at hand. Don't seal up the words of the prophecy. He, he kicks back in in chapter 21 and 22 and brings the narrative back into the present reality when he says these things are at hand. They're about to shortly come to pass. But he steps out of this kind of a narrative from verse 5 uh, till about verse 10. Those are the few verses that I believe give us a legal precedence to step out of the narrative of what is time-limited to this period of time from 30 A.D. to the destruction of the temple, 70 A.D. And I believe that this gives us a legal precedence because he starts talking then in terms of a thousand years. So what he's talking about was what goes on beyond this covenant of the old covenant passing off of the scene, this temple being destroyed, which was the centerpiece of that religious system. And we will see when we get into chapter 21 and 22 how that we are already living in a new heaven and a new earth because those terms had to do with covenantal language and understanding that the old heaven and the old earth were dealing with the old covenant and the old temple and the old land and now there's a new Jerusalem, there's a new temple and there's a new covenant. So an old heaven and an old earth passed away. We'll get into the terminology of that later on to, to show you the proofs of why we believe we are living in that day. However, the narrative here gives us, I believe, precedence to step out of the, uh, because uh, when John is speaking, first of all, he starts out with, and I saw, and I saw. But when he gets to the prophetic part and he begins to talk about, uh, he begins to talk about the thousand years, he starts to says, verse 5 begins to talk about what's going to happen after the thousand years, but the rest of the dead live not again till after the thousand years were finished. I believe there is yet a resurrection where God will deal with at the very least, the wicked dead. That seems to me like that's what's happening, is those who did not have part in the first resurrection. Now, the first resurrection, to me, is not so much a physical one as it is a spiritual one. In other words, the moment you get born again, you pass from death to life. That is, you have been made alive. You've been quickened. You have resurrection life. You've been resurrected. You've been raised from the dead. Uh, and now you are living... 
never to die spiritually again because you now have everlasting life. But to those who have not received everlasting life, they are not dealt with again until this thousand years is finished. And once again, we showed you that a thousand does not necessarily mean a literal number, but a long period of time, like saying, for instance, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That doesn't mean he don't own the cattle on a thousand and one hills. And like I said, this word thousand itself is plural in the original language. It could literally be translated thousands of years. So there is yet a further resurrection. Now, what all that entails, I'm going to tell you honestly, I don't really know. I have several theories, and I don't want to get into speculation on this program. I do know this, and I'm sure of this. It is a benefit to being born again. It is a benefit to believing and walking in faith and appropriating what Jesus did in His death, burial, and resurrection for us right now. And you won't have to worry about what happens in the future when He deals with the rest of the dead that live not again. For one of the things they do not have is they do not have Aeonian or the life of the age. They're not living and reigning with Christ. They are still, as far as I can see, in the Hadean realm where they are awaiting a judgment yet to come in the future. So in my opinion, the great white throne is not a judgment uh, upon believers. I showed you last uh, segment how in Daniel that there was a judgment and that there were books open and the book of life was open and they were judged. And I believe that that was the first resurrection people that had the life of God in them that uh, were judged according, uh, in other words, even the old covenant saints up to that point had to come to a place where there was a judgment that took place for them. And so uh, the rest of the dead, I believe that our, our we, I believe that as believers, we can, we can have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this present world. So for believers, I believe we, our judgment is not in our future. Our judgment is in our past. But for unbelievers, it looks to me like there is yet a, uh, we're going to at least give space for this, that, that after the thousand years are finished, there is yet a resurrection where they will be judged and, uh, and, and be judged according to the works and the books will be opened and the dead will be judged. A lot of speculation on what happens to the wicked dead. To be very purely honest with you, I have some opinions, but but I I don't know for I don't know exactly what all that entails. But I will say this again, once again, I'm trying to make it very very clear to you that I believe it is very important that you must be born again. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. If any man does not have the Spirit of Christ. He is none of His. I have eternal life now. I'm thankful that uh, I've got eternal life in my spirit right now. I thank God that I've already become a citizen of the kingdom right now. If you're not a believer, I encourage you to become one. Uh, I, 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 I encourage you to embrace this. He, he wants to give you... Jesus came and I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You know, my reality is simply this. If I can get you to walk in the kingdom of heaven right now, I won't have to worry about what happens after you die. But the reality of it is, is that I want to get people in, into the kingdom right now. And I want to become believers and enjoy this relationship that we have with Jesus right now. Because there is a day, it looks like to me, 
when the rest of the dead will be dealt with. But blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection, which is your new birth experience, I believe. On such the second death has no power. Because one of the things that's destroyed in the lake of fire is death and hell are destroyed. He will swallow up all death and all hell in this lake of fire. And uh, so, you know, even the term, I believe that the term hell is so interchanged so many places through the Scripture. And sometimes it's translated as Gehenna. Sometimes it's Hades or Sheol or Tartarus. And each one of them, I wish the translators would have been clearer because some of them are real world places that were actually uh, there on planet Earth where people were literally being thrown into uh, for crimes of murder and for sometimes even in wars and battles, they cast them into these, uh, into these fields where the worm was not dying and the stench of dead flesh was ascending up forever and ever and so forth. But I, I will say this to you. I believe that one of the things I came across when, when I saw that this lake, the fire burning with fire and brimstone, it was, uh, it, it, you know, it doesn't, I mean, it, it definitely sounds to me like a real motivation not to want to go there because they're tormented in the presence uh, of, let me see, where they're, they're tormented in the presence uh, uh, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, uh, that, that, that suggests to me, not suggested, very strong language. You, you don't want to, you don't want to risk it. It's like going, you know, I, there's a lot of doctrines out there right now. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not at all close to uh, conversation. But I will say this. If I went to Las Vegas, for instance, and said, okay, here's a sure deal. You take this one, you get a tr ticket straight to heaven. You are guaranteed a win-win situation. Or you can gamble on this one and hope that there's a future uh, where there may be some type of... Uh, of redemption or reconciliation for you in the future that it might be possibly there. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to take the gamble of the possibility. I'm going to take the sure thing. In other words, I'm encouraging you to apply the blood of Jesus, receive the life of God right now, and you won't have to worry about this second death or what all it entails. I will say this yet, that when you see in the book of Daniel that there was a fire that issued out from underneath the throne, that its wheels was flaming fire, that this fire uh, that is all about this is it is, uh, uh, and in Revelation, it is brimstone. The word brimstone, if you will take the Greek word brimstone and put it in the Englishman's search on the word in your concordance, every place else that this word is translated, it will be translated divinity, divine, or His divine Godhead. So the fire of this is our God is a consuming fire. And I could say it like this, depending on which side of the fire you're on, whether it's glorious or it is tormenting. You can be in the same service, for instance, in the presence of God, and one person be shouting, dancing, hallelujah, and the very same fire is making this guy squirm like a worm. Uh, the reality of it is, is that uh, I believe there is yet a judgment for the dead. What that entails, once again, I am not at all dogmatic because there are such varying opinions about this that I, 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 won't, I won't become dogmatic about it. I am simply saying to you, you, you need to be born again. If you don't know Jesus, invite Him into your life right now. Now the second thing I want to deal with, more than anything else in this particular segment, is that, uh, again, Satan being bound. I want to talk about Satan being bound because, see, people a lot of times will say to me, well, if Satan's bound, then why is all this stuff going on? But let's go, first of all, if you will, let's go to Matthew chapter number 28. 
Uh, let's begin, let's look at uh, verse number 18, and uh, we will begin to talk about how Satan is not going to be bound. He's already bound. Now, he's not, dis, not, at all, uh, not, not inactive at all. He's simply bound from deceiving the nations. Now, one of the things that I've said to you before was, up until this particular time in human history, the gospel was to the Jew exclusively. So the rest of the nations were under the stranglehold and deception of Satan. They were in worship of false gods, idolatry, paganism was everywhere. But now the gospel is being preached in all the world, and a great chain is being put on this serpent to bind him. But Matthew chapter 28, uh, Jesus says this, verse 16, uh, let's see, verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into the Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority is given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. Now Jesus here in Matthew 28, after His resurrection says, guess what? All authority is given to me. So Jesus has authority. One of the things I appreciate deeply about the word of faith is that they have taught the believer the authority of the believer. It, my only, my only a problem with it is we think that the authority of the believers to get a bigger house and more money in the bank, and I'm certainly not against prosperity. I believe God wants to bless His people. But I believe that the authority of the believer is for much more than just so you could get a bigger car and more money in the bank. I believe that He gave us authority to operate over unclean spirits. Overall, He said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. What is amazing to me is that we preach the authority of the believer, except our eschatology gets messed up because we've got all this authority until we actually really need it, and then somehow or the other, God's got to take us to heaven and hide us for a while, rather than uh, 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 operating in the authority of bringing about God's kingdom in the earth, and that's the purpose of faith. That's the purpose of authority. Uh, let me read for you a few more verses. Matthew chapter number 12. Let's, let's go there quickly. Matthew 12. Uh, I believe it is Matthew 12, verse, I believe it is verse number uh, 28. And uh, it says this. It says, it's, well, let me back up. It says, But Jesus, this is verse 25, knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to destruction or desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first bind the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. And then he tells them, you'll know them by their fruits. Now let me just say to you again, Jesus is casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He is showing you his authority over uh, unclean spirits over sickness and disease. I believe we have that today in the name of Jesus. We've been called to disciple 
nations. Christianity is expanding on a global level like never before in human history, even with bad theology that doesn't have a dominion or a, if you will, an optimistic eschatology like we do. It is already advanced. Just think what ha would happen if we started to preach a optimistic message and a message of dominion that does not come by the force of military power, but by the power of love. It spreads the kingdom. Uh, hallelujah. I believe we're the answer to the problems in the earth right now. But when he, he, he talks about even blaspheming the Holy Ghost here, I don't believe the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost is an individual sin as much as it was a national sin. This is the religious rulers of Jesus' day accusing him of casting out devils by the prince of the devils, by Beelzebub, and Jesus is saying to them, listen, you can speak against the Son of Man, but you start talking against the Holy Ghost, and it's not going to be forgiven you in this age, that would have been the old covenant age, or the age to come, which is the age we now live in. Now, the reality of it is, is that God, literally, I believe, some of the judgments that came upon them as a result of them blaspheming the Holy Ghost, is that He took it from an ethnic people as a nation and gave the kingdom to the nation producing the fruits. I don't have time to go back into that. I want to talk a little bit more from a few other scriptures here about Him. Let's go then to Luke chapter 10. We're going to just show several scriptures here that talk about having the power. Luke chapter 10, verse number 18. Uh, verse number 17. It says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan like, fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not receive... Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He tells them they had authority, they had power in the name of Jesus. Let me go then to the Gospel of St. John, chapter... Let's go to St. John, uh, chapter number 12, and verse number 31. For your notes' sake, if you're taking notes, this is John 12, and verse uh, number... Well, let's go again to verse number 30. Jesus answered said, and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sakes. Watch this. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world judged. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. You remember he was bound and cast into a lake of burning fire. And, if, and not into a lake of burning fire. He was cast into a bottomless pit first. And I, if I be, am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Listen, the death of Christ forever cast the enemy out and bound him. There is a dimension where Satan has been bound and has been bound for a very long time. He goes about seeking whom he may devour, but whom he may devour... Uh, it may not be who you think it is, and I may, if I have time to get into one more segment of this, we may deal with it exactly what we believe that is. But uh, then John 16, let's go to chapter 16. John 16, uh, verse number 11. John 16, 11, it says this. It says, Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He talks about the three dimensions of the work of the Holy Spirit. is to convince and convict the world of sin, 
because they believe not. Number two, to convince and convince of righteousness because I go to the Father. And number three, to convince us that of judgment because the prince of this world has already been judged. Uh, um, John 17, verse number 15 says this. It's, hallelujah. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true. It is the truth of the word of God. I believe that binds Satan and keeps him bound. I believe that the binding of Satan began then in the first century when Christ initiated it during his earthly ministry. I, according to Matthew 12, 24 through 29, I believe, he just, I believe he secured it as legal fact at his death and resurrection and Luke chapter 10 verse 17 and dramatically proved it in the collapse of Christianity's first foe, which was Judaism. And Matthew 23 speaks of that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, when uh, uh, Jerusalem's demise is significant in that satanic resistance to Christ's kingdom comes first, came first from the Jewish persecution of Christ and Christianity. Uh, interestingly enough, in Romans chapter 10 also, when it said, Who will descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. That this word deep is the same Greek word that's translated abyss or bottomless pit in the book of Revelation. Now you can go run this word pit or abyss. But <clears throat> what it's showing is that Jesus went down into the abyss and in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he has the keys of hell and of death and hath bound the enemy and given to us the keys of the kingdom. So Satan uh, is bound from deceiving the nations. It's not bound from uh, operating at all. He seeks whom he may devour. And we may take the next segment and perhaps talk about uh, just a little bit more in depth about that. And then uh, we're going to move on, I think, into the next chapter. Uh, take a moment to call that number on the screen or to send us an email or to get the address at the end of the uh, at the end of the program and write to us if you can include a one-time gift or a seed become a partner with us consider this new year becoming a partner and uh, it doesn't matter the size of the gift it takes a whole lot of little gifts but that's what holds us together a lot of times and we deeply are grateful for that if the lord lays that on your heart please be obedient to it and uh, we'll we'll appreciate it god bless you for anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.